founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Christine Nicholson, co-founder of Succession Plus UK a fast-growing company that specializes in succession advisory for business owners. Christine was the UK Business Mentor of the Year and a global top 50 woman in accounting in 2020. She has received the highest professional accreditation as a business mentor for good reason. From her 25-plus years of experience running companies in multiple sectors, like that of finance and consulting, to also her rescuing a bankrupt company and exiting multiple successful businesses of her own, not only being a successful businesswoman, Christine is also an author of four books. Christine is a woman of many talents and clearly knows a thing or two about building a business. Here to share in all of her experiences and lessons learned is Christine Nicholson. So Christine, my new friend, let's get started. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure to um, be here. Thanks very much. And uh, pre this intro, um, great to talk to somebody in America who understands soccer. <laughs> Uh, well, we're still growing. All right. We're, 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 I would say we're in the teenage years as a country of, <laughs> of getting to understand soccer. At least the MLS isn't a complete joke right now, but we're, we're, we're making some strides. Uh, well, so normally, like I told you before we started recording, we would start just with the company you're currently running here in the, the origin story of it. But I would be remiss not to get a little bit more of your backstory with the amount of businesses you've run and or helped in the last 25 years. So, how did you even get into this whole world of business and business mentorship and all of those things, if you don't mind me asking? Okay, um, so first thing is that, um, yes, I was a co-founder of Succession Plus, but I don't work with them anymore. I got that business started and um, have subsequently move, moved on. Gotcha. But getting, in, getting into um, business was, it, in all ways, at every stage, it's been a kind of blessed accident. I'd love to say there's been loads of planning and, you know, I'm exactly where I thought I would be. Uh, trust me, 10 years ago, I didn't know I was going to be here. I didn't plan to be here. I'm just here. Um, although I do know that going from here forward, I, I, I've got a grip with, with the whole concept of planning and, and doing now. But, um, you know, my, my first job was working in the, in the banking sector. And that was three and a half soul sucking years. And if I ever think about going back to having a job, I just remember working in a bank and it really cleans away any desires to go back there. Um, And then I did five years in the military. I was in the Women's Royal Naval Service and and that was fantastic. And I, I would have been there for life if it hadn't been for them deciding to take what was a shore support service, they decided to send us to sea and I get chronically seasick. So all of a sudden I had to think about a new career and uh, owning and running businesses just seemed like an exciting thing to do. I didn't really know an awful lot about it formally. Um, So I went and learned and then as with everything, when you're constantly learning and you're constantly asking curious questions, things kind of turn up. Yeah. 
So let's start there. Let's start at the end of sounds like your Navy career. What, what were you thinking coming out? Was it, Hey, I, I don't want to go back to work on a job. I'd, I'd rather try my hand at starting my own. And then where did, where did you start that learning curve? Actually, I have to say leaving the Navy, I had not got the first idea about what I was going to do. And I kind of didn't really know what I was capable of doing. Um, but I did get a really good piece of advice, which was get a professional qualification because they can never take that away from you. So I started studying being an accountant and just actually taking jobs that sounded interesting. And so I took, I I took some risks and, um, you know, I went to work, I, I worked in Russia. I, I went to work for a Russian company. I worked for a French company. Um, I, I did all sorts of different things, but the minute I got bored, I would move on. Um, because at this point I was still trying to figure out what it was that I, that I, I wanted to do. And I was going to night school to study, to be an accountant. And I was surrounded by accountants that all looked very pale and gray and haggard and miserable. And I just kept on looking at them thinking, there's no way I want to spend my life doing that. And I I was just very lucky. I got surrounded by people who'd taken the leap and started their own businesses. And I'm fascinated by inventors. And I think because I'm curious around the invention process, I just ended up working with a number of of inventors. Um, Some of them were properly crazy, uh, but they'd all invented something really unique. And that started to turn the cogs in my brain of the people who invent these things, these products and these exciting business opportunities aren't usually the people who are best at running the business. Mm. And one thing that I'm pretty good at is solving problems and creating order out of chaos. So that became my superpower. And uh, I, I never really looked, I never really looked back. So did you start with them as, as kind of your first go at it? Say, taking some people with crazy talented and brilliant, but helping them build a business around it? Absolutely. Um, I started to work with a guy who'd invented something in his garage and uh, he took that on and sold it to an American company for tens of millions of, of um, dollars. And, and he left the business. He bought in a management team. The Americans bought in some more management and um, actually bought some structure to, to the organization. Uh, I worked for a family company that had, over the years, built their business kind of really haphazardly. Um, it was a bit like kids building um, sim towns with Lego bricks. You know, every time they saw a little hole somewhere, they either filled it in a haphazard way or they went and acquired a company to fill that gap. And they were fourth generation. So they were now, and the fourth, sorry, the fourth generation didn't want anything to do with this crazy pile of stuff. Um, they all were off at university becoming doctors and lawyers and, and other accountants. Uh, so we spent four and a half years bundling 40 businesses up into little packages um, and sold them. I mean, the sale price on them was half a billion pounds in total over a number of packages. And when I walked out of, out of that, I was literally the last one out of the building. I switched the light off. And, um, and then I had my own capital 
And I just thought, oh, you know what, I can do this. And I had also built a huge connection of people who having sold their business now had a lot of money in their pocket. So I took my money and even more of their money. And then I did something that you don't hear of these days. I knocked on the door of the bank and I said, hey, I've got this business idea. Will you lend me some millions? And they went, of course. Wow. How many millions do you want? Like it just doesn't happen these days. So it's one of those things where I think one of the key factors around success is timing. And I've been incredibly blessed with a lot of really good timing. Accidental timing or intentional timing? I'd say it's about 50-50. I'd like to say I'm cleverer than that, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any way to increase the chances of accidental timing, right? Like you think oh. about luck and we talk about, well, there's ways you can increase luck. You know, if, you, if you're mm. more prepared, luck seems to find you more often. Do you, yeah. How do you think about timing in that way? Uh, well, you said the word earlier, um, which was curiosity. More curiosity you get, the luckier you get. Hmm. The, the more curiosity you have, the more opportunities you see, the more opportunities you see, the more opportunities you'll take. And if you think about it, nine out of 10 things that you do in life, you will not succeed at. You might get by it if you're lucky, but, um, you know, so because there's, you know, there's success and there's, there's kind of failure. And then there's this kind of messy bit in the middle. And, yeah. and most people are in that messy bit in the middle. Yeah. where they're not really super succeeding, but they're not really failing. I mean, they, they might be, you know, hanging on by their fingernails, but they're in this middle where it's kind of a no man's land. Um, and you can be very happy there. But um, a lot of really successful people have, they've succeeded on the back of lots and lots and lots and lots of failure. Uh, and I know... Um, I think it was something Will Smith said, which is fail fast. Yeah. And, you know, find out what's not working and then stop doing it and find out what is working and keep doing more of that. Yeah. Um, that no man's land scares me. You mm. know, it's, it scares me more than the failure. It used mm. to be this failure scared me the most, but I found myself at that idea that kind of works and it's getting by but it's not really achieving what you want it to achieve and that can almost be a longer trap to fall yes. into because it's technically working you know you're like yeah. hey there is money coming in but you almost get held in this waiting pattern of like i think it's really going to turn around it's really going to turn around and it doesn't versus if you just failed and found out it wasn't a good idea and then went on to experimenting with a new one right couldn't agree with you more. And the thing is that messy middle can be really comfortable because people can get comfortable by getting by because mm. they kind of pat themselves on the back and say, hey, but, you know, I managed to make payroll this month or, hey, I, you know, I'm, I managed to pay all my bills this month. And, you, you know, you're keeping the wolf from the door. So you're not you're not moving forward and you don't even recognize that you're stuck. Because yeah. there's, there's, there's only two directions that there's, you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. Yeah. It's just, most people don't recognize that they're moving backwards. Yeah. Have you, do you know, uh, have you ever heard of Dr. Michael Beckwith? No. 
he's a beautiful soul out in the out in the world and he just has this phrase that i heard actually it was like on a on an oprah soul, super soul sunday um where he talked about pain will push you until promise pulls you yes and he was messing with these two forces that i i really come to believe in that early on in a person's journey it's usually the pain that's pushing you the bank calling the the personal life falling apart like that's the initial catalyst that kind of moves you forward yeah but there's eventually a handoff supposed to be happening where it stops being about pain that's the thing that's pushing you instead it's a greater vision that almost ahead of you that is pulling you but i've noticed that messy middle is where you're almost free of both influences yeah where pain you're you're just as far enough away from pain like you said you're comfortable you can pay the bills but nothing's calling to you there's nothing yeah. really moving you forward and you exist in that that moment until you slide far enough back to where pain gets you again they're like all right i gotta yeah. get going yeah. uh, but that's that's how I think about the messy middles. It's kind of between those two influences. Do you see it similarly? Uh, absolutely. And I think it's um, it's almost as if you know, there's no imperative, like there's no purpose. And you can wake up, and I've done this you know, several times, where you just wake up and you go, "What's the point in this?" Yeah. You know, where where am I going? And you're suddenly um, aware that you're almost kind of jogging along to stand still and uh, and then that that can be quite depressing moment because all of a sudden you realize that you're not actually being driven by a particular purpose and you know there, there's the reason why hope is the last thing out of pandora's box mm. and it's because when you start to lose hope or sight of hope then you know life becomes pretty miserable and I almost think that that's the, the 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 point at which you lose your curiosity I love that word um but the, when you lose your curiosity it's almost like that's the beginning of you losing sight of your purpose yeah well I'm so glad you brought that back up because that's where my next question was going to go I think you hit the mm -hmm. nail on the head that curiosity seems to be a key ingredient in so many things in life like mm. business, but also friendships, relationships, you know, like art, creativity, all of it comes from curiosity, but it's often rare. Like yeah. it's easy, it's easy to not be curious anymore. And so uh, my question would be, do you have in your mind as we play with that concept for a minute, what you think the enemy to curiosity would be? Like what, what stands in the way from us being more regularly curious? Yeah, and it's usually fear of ridicule or fear of rejection, and or or they're actually not believing and not believing that people like you can do that kind of thing. So I, I am one of those people who, in the past, has said, "I'm not creative. I'm just not, I'm just not one of those creative people. I get things done. I'm not creative." And um, I'm actually quite ashamed of using that kind of phraseology because it's kind of lazy. Hmm. Um, because anybody who's curious can be creative and creativity doesn't mean being Picasso or um, writing a great screenplay on being Shakespeare and all of those kind of, kind of things. Um, 
you know, being creative can be the same as, as getting things done. Being creative is problem solving. It's, it's actually taking the time to think and to think really deeply rather than just cast your thoughts over the surface of, uh, of things. Yeah. So I think people get caught up in what creativity is and isn't. Um, but if you can sit and think and you can solve problems in innovative ways then and you have the curiosity to ask the questions in the first place, then you're creative. Uh, it's beautiful. I want to come I want to come back to that. But before I lose my train of thought, the question I had when you said there was a time that maybe that fear that we we're talking about dominated you those those kind of insecurities doubts how did you escape that or how did you work with that in a way where you felt like that was no longer at least a dominating presence holding you back two things i got myself a really fantastic coach and uh, he was amazing um he was strong enough to really call out all the BS that was going on in my head and he really held the mirror up to me mm. and then and then the second thing is um you've heard of Monty Python haven't you sure okay so one of the one of the pythons is John Cleese and uh you'll know John Cleese he's this very tall angular man who um I think he's most famous for doing ministry of silly walks and he's brilliant at it and he actually is a professor and lectures on creativity. And uh, I went to, to see his lecture. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's from the 1990s. And he says there's five things about creativity that you need. And it's space. So having a, a space that you can sit in the quality of time, you know, completely undisturbable time, the quantity of time, a defined moment in, of time, typically 90 minutes. Um, so uh, space, time, time, confidence, actually believing that you can have creative thought during that time. And then the final one was humor. He said, because when you take yourself too seriously and you're very solemn, he said, solemnity is like wasted. He said, it's a bit like guilt and regret, you know. You can chew yourself up at it, but what's the point? And oh. uh, I, I saw him do that talk for 45 minutes, and it just chimed with what my business coach had, had said. And then all of a sudden, I, I, it, it was like a little light bulb went on that I'd been telling myself I'm not creative. And I've been telling myself people like me don't do things like that. But all of that was learned behavior yeah. from someone telling me. And the minute I stop believing what everybody else says and start really asking myself the question, being curious about, well, actually, how, how is it that people like me don't do these things? People like me do all sorts of things. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing that's not possible. Um, you know, I, I, Einstein is attributed with a lot of things, but I'm pretty sure he actually said, if you can think it, it will be. Oh, sorry, if you can think it, it can be. If you can imagine it, you can create it. So. Um, That's so beautiful. Well, you, you touched on 
what I think is one of the biggest life-changing kind of watershed moments in a person's life if they're lucky enough to have it, which is going from who they've always been on accident to who they could be on purpose. Yes. And most of us, this was me, I, 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 at 30 years old, I felt like I was waking up for the first time from autopilot. And my reactions, my beliefs, my my confidence or lack thereof was all just a reaction. It was all just, I don't know how where this came from, but I just don't think I'm creative, to be your example. Or I, yeah. I don't think I'm a gym person or whatever the thing is. I'm not disciplined. I'm not this. And it was like, all right, well, I haven't really thought about any of those things and made my own conclusion. I just adopted them. My parents, my pain, my past, my peers, all of those things just created who I am today. Mm. And I just had this thought of like life or circumstances, having a pen and writing my story and that pen just being in my hand Yes. <laughs> and going like, what do I want to write? Yeah. Like, do I want to get better at something? I could write that out as a character in my own story. I could apply myself to this and, it, but emotionally it was very difficult, but mentally at least it, clicked like oh i can make this shift from on accident to on purpose and then who knows what's possible right i know that's awesome I, i'm really glad that you had that kind of experience well um, pain i yeah, woke up well, realized but, i was i was overweight i was anxious i was flatlining in my career i felt like i was i, I was starting to have panic attacks you know like wow. it was it was a, luckily enough emotional turmoil for me to go what the hell's going on and it kind of created yeah. a a wake up, right? Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't wish all that other stuff on anybody, but I'm pleased you had the wake up experience because many, many, many people just don't, or they're in such toxic environments that they never hear how amazing they are. Mm. I mean, if you just think about it, every single one of us human beings is a billion, billion, billion accidents. Like to be as amazing uh, as we are and, 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 I mean, let's get this straight. As human beings, we are hideous. We are hideous to each other. We're hideous to the planet. We're hideous to the flora, the fauna. You know, we have great propensity to just be hideous. Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, look at all the propensity that we also have for creating joy and light and and happiness and and creating real greatness in the world and i think from an entrepreneur's perspective you take you know actually taking the leap to not only take control of your own destiny but then to lead others along that path and that journey knowing that you are going to be the one doing the backbreaking work of laying the road for other people to walk on yeah is just extraordinary and most entrepreneurs don't think of themselves as doing that and therefore miss identifying in themselves the great value that they bring and, and offer to to themselves to their families to their ecosystems mm. to society and communities at, at large. Oh, so good. Um, it reminds me, I've got to talk to you about an opportunity after this. <laughs> I'm already <laughs> liking you so much. I'm like, man, I got to get you to collaborate on this thing we're working on. Um, what, what you said earlier, so, so well said about the propensity for both inside of us, the propensity for great good or the propensity for great destruction. Right. And, 
there's actually a line from this old Kung Fu movie that I only know about because it was a line in a song from a band I love. And I was like, where'd they get that line from? It was an old Kung Fu movie. But the line is simple. It says, the, the coward and the hero march together inside of every man. Yes. And that you could exchange the words. The bastard and the benevolent march together inside of every man. The the generous and the stingy march to, marches together inside of every woman. You know, it's like... Yeah, yeah, it's right there. There's a Native American parable uh, where it talks about this Cherokee grand uh, elder talking to his grandson, talking about life, and he tells him that inside of every person is a light wolf and a dark wolf. And the dark wolf is bitterness, anger, hatred, jealousy. The white wolf is love, kindness, goodness. And the grandson asks, Grandpa, which wolf wins? And the Cherokee responded, which one you feed the most? Yes. Yeah, oh, I love that God, story. So good, isn't it amazing? Yeah. Uh, so that's what makes me think of when you talk about that and 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 feeding, being on a path to saying like, I I realize the the humility is realizing both exist inside of us. Yeah. The accountability, I think, rests on us getting to choose which one we feed, right? And that's really important. I say this to every client, without exception. And and because they'll always at some point say, what 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 do you think I should do? I'm going, it's your life. Mm. You get to choose. And it, and it's the same whether you're running your own business, whether you're in a job. Um, you know, it, it, everybody wakes up with exactly the same number of minutes to go ahead of them in the in the next day. And every day you can make a new decision and you can choose the direction that you you go in. And, you know, sometimes those choices are harder and sometimes they're easier. Sometimes they're going to make you happier. Um, you know, sometimes they're going to cause pain, not just to yourself, but to others. But they may be the decision for the greater good. And it, it's up to you to, to take them. Nobody is guiding your hand. Um, yeah. You know. Well, they might be, but you got you to gotta take that ownership back, right? if we're letting life and everything around us guide our hand, it's like, man, we've mm. given away the most precious thing we have, which is our ability to choose. Yeah. That's the only thing I got, you know, like everything else <laughs> is a negotiation between me and life and negotiation between me and other people. Yeah. But my ability to choose is really the only thing that's my real estate in this life. Um, I want to circle back to the creativity conversation uh, before we, we kind of put it into this part, but those five things you mentioned are so beautiful. And I want to get back to, I think it was number three or number two that you talked about, which was to be able to sit and have quality focus. Yeah. To me, I was actually like scared when I realized how diminished that capacity had gotten at a certain point that I would like think back on the same kind of project I was doing, you know, 10 years earlier, end of college, early twenties. And I could sit and think about something for hours and then, Maybe with social media, addiction to phone, fast-paced world, instant gratification, it was yeah. getting harder and harder for me to sit down and do deep work, like yeah. Cal Newport talks about, like being able to oh, think. Oh, yeah. For, I love that book. I do, too. And that's why I want to ask you about it, because I'm just, it's been on my radar for a while, but I'm re-getting into it, realizing like so much of the actual value that any business can create comes from the other side of some kind of deep focus. Mm. But that is getting harder and harder to actually have so any tips or any thoughts you have on how we can combat that waning amount of attention attention span that we have and start to actually increase our capacity for deep focus again 
Uh, absolutely. So you might not have a cupboard you can go and sit in. And I know that's going to sound extreme, but I, I have a colleague who has a note on the outside of his office door. So he, he's leading a sizable multi-million pound business. And the, and the note on the outside of his door says, do not disturb unless the building is on fire and you want to be fired. And you get one chance at disturbing him and then you're fired. But the building actually has to be on fire for you to open that door. And it's having that, that discipline of the phone is outside. Look, let's say we put together a 90 minute, you know, we're gonna do 90 minutes work, 90 minutes deep work. And, uh, and you're getting used to this. Like for the first 10 minutes, you're gonna be making sure you've got a cup of tea or coffee and you're gonna be fussing about with the stuff on your desk and you're gonna be making sure that you've switched everything off and put some stuff outside. Okay, so now you've got rid of some of the surface level and now your brain, which is running, in fear of having to do focus, because it ain't used to this and it's a muscle you've got to exercise, it's now going to start bombarding you with, well, what about that call that you've got to make back this afternoon? And what about the dishwasher that needs to be um, emptied? So dishwasher is my favorite thing. Like if I'm trying to do some deep focus, there is something on my shoulder that goes dishwasher, dishwasher, dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> um, but actually, if you just give it about 20 minutes, your brain just stops. It honestly, it gives up. It has no, um, oh, uh, what's <laughs> now? I can't think of the word. Uh, uh, endurance. Your brain yeah. has no endurance for this. So after about twenty minutes, it will give up, and then you can get on with with it. And the reason why you set yourself a specific period of time is, and you can use a timer because then you don't have to look at your phone or look at the watch or anything like that. Um, That's why I got because, this guy right here. Yeah. Oh, that, absolutely brilliant. Because yeah. now you know that you're not going to miss anything because the alarm is going to go off. But the first time you do it, it's horrendous. It's a bit like, um, so I go camping and I do solo camping where I'm in the forest, in a tent, on my own, no light, no electricity, no watch, no phone, no book, wow. no stimulus at all. Oh, and no hot and cold running water or flushing toilet either. Okay, so it's properly in the forest, me in the trees and whatever. You just described yeah. my wife's nightmare right there. That would be her nightmare. 10 years ago, that would have been, would have been mine. But wow. now I do it three or four times a year and it, it, honestly, for the first hour, you've pitched your tent and you've got yourself all sorted. And now you're sat there and you're thinking, well, and you really haven't got anything to do because you're in the middle of the forest. I mean, you don't need to get a broom out and start sweeping up. So your brain then just takes in all the stimulus that's offered by nature. And uh, I have to say the first time I did it, that's a scary old thing to do. Yeah. But you just get a brain, just calm down. You know, I'm so curious to see if you found a similar observation as I have, but in the last year I've been doing what we call these peak performance boot camps for, for fast growing companies. Really, I had to phrase it in a way that they would bite. You know, it is about peak performance, but really it's all their people were burning out. 
and that turnover is high and, you know, feeling stressed out, overwhelmed, whatever. And so we got in there just to, to try to raise the IQ and get some habits and things. They love all of it, except when I start recommending that they spend 90 minutes to two hours of their eight hour, 10 hour day on uninterrupted focus time. Mm. And it was just interesting. They'll adopt everything else. They're all about the morning habits. They're all about even taking small breaks in the day and different things. But when mm -hmm. I start talking about the brain and that it needs focus and that you need to be able to do highest priority, most important works with no emails, not being interrupted by teammates, whatever. They also, I had, I had this one person push back on me, the CEO live in the training until he was only one to, to instead of 90 minutes, he, we got down to 15 minutes. I kept saying, where could we start? Could we start at an hour? No, no, there's too much urgent stuff going on. There's too much collaboration needs. I got them down to 15 minutes. I was like, man, but it's just so interesting. Like where the pushback is, maybe it's an American culture or whatever is like, Whoa, that sounds yeah. nice, but like, mm -hmm. we can't do that. You don't understand the amount of things happening that need to be responded to right now. We can't do that. Do you know what my response to that is? What's that? And it's really interesting because it was a chief exec. If you're reacting, you're not leading. Mm. So if you're reacting, who's leading? Yeah. And you can only lead if you can focus. And that focus time, it's what I call $10,000 an hour work. Mm. And when you start putting that kind of price ticket on it, because the things that will create $10,000 an hour for you come in that deep work time. Absolutely. So, so it's, it's, a, it's almost a double whammy of, well, this is going to create the ideas and the innovation that's going to generate you 10,000 pounds per, per hour. And you are wishy-washing around in the weeds, which is like last time I looked, that was $20 an hour work. Right. Um, right. So do you want to be down there reacting or do you want to be up here leading? Well, in fairness, probably the mistake I made was I didn't have that conversation and buy in with him first. I was just surprised. Like I didn't mm. know that'd be where the major pushback was. Otherwise I would reserve that, but it yeah. was because it was for his whole team. We were talking about like, Hey, I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to start thinking about an hour to two of your day. That is deep focus. I think it just scared him. Actually it was a her yeah. it scared her and versus like starting with her and like getting her to wrap her mind around creating that time for herself and then thinking through the cascading effect in the organization. But I just noticed yeah. like everything else was easily adoptable. Yeah. And then yeah. that one was like, wait a minute, don't mess with our time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I bet you found that they had previously done some kind of time management training. And uh, the crazy thing is there are two things that you can't manage. You can't manage people and you can't manage time. Hmm. You can manage processes. That's it. You can manage processes, but you can't manage people and you can't manage time. Break, break, that, you, break that down for me. What do you mean by you can't manage time? So, well, time is what time is. You know, you can manage your activity during a period of time, but you're managing your activity. You're not managing time at all. You That's can manage your productivity during a period of time, but the only thing that's changing is you. Time isn't changing. And um, I'm very aware that if you want to get into a kind of philosophical and physical and you know, the laws of physics and all that kind of stuff, that time can be very elastic, but it's actually the perception of time that's elastic. 
And it's the perception that you can manage time because you're not managing time at all. You're managing yourself and you're managing your behavior. As you're moving through time, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. That is fascinating. Um, the last thing that I just wanted to hear you touch on maybe for a second was number five out of the five things that that person recommended. And it was that yeah. playfulness. And again, I, the times that I've like almost been militant, uh, not in my discipline. It's like you have to have a militant edge to your discipline. You're going to show up and do the writing or show up and do the work. But once you're yeah. there, if you don't change from militant to almost like dancing or curiosity, like it's, I like to picture the muse, you know, I know it's old school, but like the muse is wanting to dance with you, is wanting to uh, play with you some. And you're like, no, we got to be serious. And it, I don't know. I just thought that was so interesting that he mentioned that fifth one. I, what word did he use? Uh, humor. Playful? Humor? Yeah, humor. No, humor. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because he talks about, um, well, obviously he's a comedian, um, but he does talk about uh the fact that we're trying if we try and take ourselves too seriously then we lose that it's almost like we're sticking our brain in a corset stopping it moving stopping it breathing yes. when actually what we need to do is is to coin a phrase is um is to let our brain oh hang out you know just uh, or I, I i don't know where this phrase comes from i know what it brings to mind but you know just hang loose yeah. And, um, and actually just let go. Yeah. And, well, I and, think hang loose actually, is perfect because it allows you, it, it brings up surfing culture, right? To let your brain surf for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Or just have a laugh. I mean, one of the things that uh, this is going to make me sound completely ridiculous now, but, you know, one of the things, if I find myself taking things a bit too seriously, I just go and watch, there's a, a three minute clip of the minions called Bananas. Like, and I just watched that three, three minutes. I mean, honestly, YouTube it, Minions Bananas. Okay. It's ridiculous. It's about three minutes, 15 seconds. It has me laughing at about second four. And uh, mainly because I know what's coming. And I just find it really, really funny. And then if I watch that, I find that my productivity goes through the ceiling. And I can really get on with the, the work that I need to be need to be doing it just kind of it takes off the constraints yeah uh, so so finding something that you can laugh at is uh is usually a good start i love it well this is the part of the conversation that i want to give i've been kind of leading the curiosity questions and topics so far uh but we asked you before the podcast to, to think of your answer to this if there is one thing that you're currently passionate about sharing with our audience that you think would accelerate either their professional life, their business growth, or their personal growth, what would that be right now? It's two words, letting go. And it counts in your business and it counts in your personal life. And so actually, if you just think about those words, because they can mean different things for different people and it can mean it, every day, even if you think about letting go of the, the stranglehold that you might have on your business, every day just thinking about letting go might actually be different, taking a different approach or even thinking of different things. But if you think about holding a really tiny baby bird in your hand, if you close your fingers around it, the baby bird might actually still be, if it's tiny enough, it might still be in the palm of your hand. 
and you can feel its heart beating and it's beating thousand a thousand beats a minute i think is is pretty much what they say and and you might not think that you're killing it but when you undo your fingers the baby bird won't fly away it will die and its heart will stop because it had now got used to the comfort of being in your fist and this similar thing happens in your business and can happen in your life if you're so busy trying to control everything that it's in the center of your fist when you start to let go then it nothing is is going to fly away immediately because it won't trust you, you know your staff won't trust the fact that you're not going to close your fist again so it's letting go is like exercising a muscle and it's not just in you it's also in this consistent behavior that allows your staff your team your entire ecosystem to recognize that you you're letting go and that those fingers aren't going to uh, grab back uh, and, it, and it can be on your personal life as well there will be things that you try and control that you're kind of you, you're going to lose the fight yeah it's better to go with than hold on to man i was just talking to a friend about this yesterday so i'm smiling just because you're bringing this up and life seems to be putting it in my face again but um <laughs> My, I mentioned earlier panic attacks and things like that. Like anxiety has had a place in my story for as long as I can remember. And one of the things most recently that I've been playing with that's been helping me the most is actually the unconscious attachment I have to anxiety. Mm-hmm. And as much as I don't like it, that some part of me is actually holding on to it. And I was telling this person, like, man, I've been getting a lot of freedom of just saying every time it pops up, like, I'm letting you go. Like, I'm letting that part of my story go. Like there's normal anxiety and I want that because that's just part of the human spectrum of emotions. But yeah. the over-attachment to I'm an anxious person or, oh no, I feel this pressure again. The past is going to repeat itself and just going, I'm letting you go. And I realized mm-hmm. that anxiety was actually there because of a lot of things in life I try to control. I need to know the future. I need to see how everything's going to turn out. I need to always be vigilant and 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 not opening my hands up. So I don't know what really the question is other than I'm in the middle of learning that right now. So I am your student. Um, <laughs> help me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I think, you know, if you think about, um, have you ever been tubing? Yes. Yeah, like down tubing. a river tubing, you mean? Yeah. 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 I went, I went tubing in Texas and, uh, I had no idea what tubing was. And cause I was with a whole bunch of uh, Americans who, knew that I didn't know what tubing was, they kind of started making up stories about what, because so by the time I got to this blessed tubing place, I had no idea and I was quite terrified um, because they'd made it into this big, big thing. But if you think about tubing, okay, you've got your tube and someone else has blown up for you. So first of all, you, you're relying on when that tube hits the river before you jump into it, that it is gonna float. And then you jump in, and the river is going to take you wherever the river goes. And you kind of got a vague idea of, well, you, you know where you're starting and you've got a vague idea of where it's going to end. Because, I mean, let's face it, the guy owns the tubes, so he's going to want to fish them out at the end. Right. So you now also got an indication of a certain level of security because someone's going to come and fish you out. They're not going to let you float away forever. And then everything else about tubing, the real fun is, oh, 
sit back. I mean, I was gobsmacked because there was like little tubes that had cool boxes in them full of beer. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, this is genius. Like, I just couldn't believe it. I honestly thought, thought I died and gone to heaven because this for me is like, you're in a tube, you can't do anything until someone fishes you out, but there's beer. And I mean, I don't drink now, but beer used to have to quite a good place in my life. <laughs> so, so, and you just think, so, so tubing is actually a really good analogy for a certain amount of letting go is great fun, but there is still parameters. Like there is a river, um, you know, you can only hit the bank or you can go down the middle and someone's going to fish you out at the end. So there's a certain amount of, of security. And if you can start living life a bit like that, then like, oh, and if you haven't been, anybody who's listening to this that hasn't been tubing, you've got to go because it's so much fun. So. I love that analogy. Uh, and especially because you can navigate the river to some degree, you know, yeah. and avoid maybe if, if you see a giant rock coming, like how do I go yeah. around that? And there's, but uh, like I said, ultimately there is an as aspect of going with the flow yeah. that I have been rejecting. Like I'm wanting to make like, I mean, my therapist is amazing. He said, um, you are striving too hard to secure victory. Yeah. And he's like, man, you're an athlete. Like, remember when, like, if you had this approach to the game you were playing, would it help you or hurt you? I was like, it hurt. If I was, if I was striving this hard, I would not be trusting myself. I wouldn't be in the flow of the game, all that kind of stuff. He's like, yeah, man, like you're not just handling the moment as it arises and yeah. going, you know, it's not that you can't direct your future with steps and goals and those kinds of things, but he's like, you are just too tightly wound up around this. And I was like, wow, it is so similar to that. Mm -hmm. Like what's the difference in that tube ride being terrifying and unenjoyable versus exhilarating and enjoyable. The only difference is probably whether you realize you were safe and to kick back and relax and enjoy mm -hmm. the time, right? The perspective. Yeah. It's a bit like, literally watching your foot your footsteps and spending so much time focusing where your feet are that you don't actually look up and see what great view or great vista is and it, and, and and actually just take a moment to breathe and and enjoy it because you know take it from me from personal experience life is fragile and it can be incredibly short, but it's also way too long to be miserable. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't think that, I think in, in sometimes we kind of have, as human beings, we're really good at sucking the joy out of things. <laughs> like I left school at 16 and I went to work for a bank for three and a half years. And trust me, I learned everything about how to suck the soul out of things by working <laughs> for a bank. <laughs> <laughs> like if I ever think, oh, you know, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Um, will I go and get a job? I just go straight back to, I mean, it was 40 years ago now, 40 years ago this year, I started working for a bank wow. and uh, I can still remember how horrid that was. And I am never going to work for anybody ever again. <laughs> I love that. Oh, well, this has been so good. My final question, just to wrap that part of the conversation up would be if you're listening to this, especially if you're a CEO or an early stage founder right now, and you're like, I am totally 
white knuckling my life in this business. And I, I need to start to learn at the very beginning, need to start to learn to mm-hmm. let go. Is there anywhere you would say, start here is a practice start here. Uh, like you said, you don't really go overnight. Just now I'm open-handed with everything. And where do mm-hmm. we start? How do we start letting go? So there's a book that I recommend to all of my clients, no matter how big or small they are. I, I mean, we're talking about single coaches starting off the first time or, or chief execs of multi-million dollar turnover companies. And it's the E-Myth uh, or the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It yeah. can be read in less than two hours. And it's a conversational piece, but it will tell you everything about that starting to let go. And whilst it is focused on business, it can actually apply to your to your life. Um, because ultimately, when if your business is your life, then actually, God, you've, you've got problems because at some point you will leave your business and it's just a matter of when. And it'll be whether it's by choice or by, um, by uh, so by choice or whether it's something that happens to you. And I always talk about the four well, I call them the four horsemen of the business apocalypse, death, disease, disability, and divorce, four things that happen to you that you do not plan. Mm. And more than 50% of all business owners, that one of those things happens to them. Um, so yeah, so the, so the e-myth is, um, is my single go-to just to get started about thinking about letting go. Uh, that's so good. And I love that you brought that up because I like to ask, if there's a book that you recommend. And so the E-Myth Revisited, game changer. I remember actually my co-founder now telling me about the first time he read it and all of the changes, starting with how he thought about business and thought about life that it was, it was having on him. Um, mm. If you ever hear Michael Gerber speak, uh, once you've heard him speaking, and I'm very lucky to have heard him speak live, uh, he was over here in the UK. And now when I read the book, I can, I read it with his voice in my head. So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a character. Well, I need to do that. Cause I like, I like having the author's voice in my head, the character <laughs> of it, the nuance of it, you know, the tone even, mm-hmm. uh, of it. So I need to check him out. Um, yeah. we're about to dive into the lightning round questions, but I want to make sure I did capture this. Uh, what are you currently doing now? Is there a, a current company that you, that you're running or are you simply doing the mentor advisor coach role for a variety of companies at this point? No, so I, I run something called Nicholson Hall Advisory uh, Limited, and, and it's a combination of, um, I do mentoring, I do business assessments and valuations, uh, and, I, and I can do that internationally. And then also I, I do exit and succession planning consulting um, work, um, to, and usually for clients who are way into their exit plans and and exit journey about 80 percent of what i do is is business mentoring and uh, it's what makes my heart sing i love it so if you if someone listening to this wanted to work with you in one of those capacities where should we send them okay so my website is businessmentoruk.com and even though it is business mentor uk i do work globally i have clients all over the world uh, and I, I'm getting used to working in different time zones, although I keep getting it the wrong way around. Um, my email is christine at christinenicholson.co.uk, but the best thing is to contact me through my website. Perfect. 
Well, if you if you have the need of any of the services she just listed, I would highly recommend you send her that email and go to her website. All right, Christine, <laughs> five more questions, and then I will let you get about your day. So question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that be? Be kind. Why does that come to mind? Um, I think it's just because it's, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And uh, kindness, I just think, is um, it's one of those things where people go, oh, you know, that'll never make my business worth more. No, your business will be worth much more if you're just have being kind in, in your culture. And it doesn't mean being a walkover. Right. It just means being kind. <laughs> being a decent human being, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I imagine the hard to quantify but real impact that has on customer service, on the amount of complaints or grace that someone gives you or who wants to network with you, who actually wants to hear your idea. A lot comes from how do I feel when I'm around you? So absolutely. Um, yeah. And that, that, that is that, how do you feel when people are around you? That was a, um, Angelina, uh, not Angelina Jolie. It's not her at all. Mayo Angelou. People won't forget what you said. They won't forget. Uh, so they won't, sorry they won't remember what you said they won't remember what you did but they will remember how you made them feel dang that is really good mm. okay question number two it's kind of a two-parter we slid two questions into one what is the single best advice you've gotten about growing a business and also what was the worst advice oh god that's a toughie um so the single piece of best advice that that one's easy be yourself because mm. right, everyone else is taken quote from Oscar Wilde. Um, worst piece of advice? <laughs> oh, actually, no, this is a goodie. Um, I, I was asked in an interview once, where would I want to be in 10 years time? And I, and I told him, uh, you know, I wanted to be running my own consultancy, etc. And, and he said, I think you should revise your dreams. Uh, and I thought, okay, I'm not going to get this job. So I stood up and went, don't you tell me how to dream. I will dream my dreams regardless. Um, so worst piece of advice is try and I think you ought to revise your dreams. Uh, yeah. If there's a movie so, about your life one day, that'll be one of the best scenes in it. <laughs> okay. yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. Number three. Uh, what causes you the most stress or worry currently leading your organization right now? Oh, having to stop myself from saying yes to clients who are just not good for me because I'm, I'm so much of a fixer. So I have to hold myself back. And, and then when I occasionally let myself go, it's my team that picks up the pieces. Uh, well said we could, uh... We could have unpacked that earlier. Maybe we will if we get you back on here. That would be a great conversation to have. Okay, number four, speaking of big dreams, what is your big, hairy, audacious goal or whatever version of a how you think about the exciting future for yourself? What's the big dream you have for you or your organization? I'm not going to be – it's not going to be too long before I'm in my 60s. And um, my goal in my 60s is to be a part-time business mentor, a part-time author, a part-time speaker, and a full-time role model. Um, so that might not sound like a big audacious goal, but um, yeah, it's, it's the goal I have. There's no pockets in a shroud, 
uh, I can earn as much money as I want to. Uh, I'd rather have longevity. Love it. I'm right there with you. All right, number five. This is our kind of fun, creative question. So if you could hop into a DeLorean, you get to go back to your past, but you're only there to pass along a message. When would you go back in your past, and what message would you pass along to that younger version of yourself? Uh, I would go back to being 14, and I would say, this is just for today. Your anything is possible for you. Don't hang on to this moment. It's, uh, it's beautiful. Christine, thank you again for being on the podcast. Yeah. It is now abundantly clear why you have been a mentor and advisor for so many people. Uh, and I appreciate you doing that for me today and for our audience. It has been incredibly valuable. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for asking me some pretty challenging questions. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.